Hey, how's it going, New Hope? Great to see you. John here. I think many of you who, who know me and have listened for a while know that I take a yearly backpacking trip to a national park with other backpack-loving friends. Uh, 2014, our destination was Olympic National Park, and that's a couple hours north up in Washington. It's incredible if you've never been. We spent three nights in the rainforest, and then we got a shuttle to the coast, and we hiked 26 miles along the coastline of Olympic National Park. One of my favorite uh, couple days ever backpacking. We're a couple days into that leg of the journey, pretty tired, long hike, and we came to our campsite that night, which was tucked back in this magical little cove. It was just an idyllic campsite. We started a fire and we kind of had the ocean there in front of us and the fire and we're eating our dinner. And uh, we we happened to see a, a, a young man walk by and he waved at us and we hadn't seen many people. So we started to talk to him and his name was Jesse. He was a very friendly Canadian chap and he was a professional photographer and he was out taking pictures that he hoped he could sell and publish and win awards for. Uh, Jesse had a uh, kind of camera stand and his backpack, and then he's holding a camera that I'm guessing was worth more than, than my car. It was <laughs> just a large camera, super friendly. We, we only had our iPhones, so we said, hey, would you mind snapping our photo with your really nice camera and emailing us the picture later? He did that. He waved at us and he disappeared over the ridge line uh, from the from the other cove we had just come from. So we sat down and we had seen some remarkable sunsets that week, but we could tell that this was going to be an epic sunset, one for the ages, and we were not disappointed. As the sky got a little darker, it started to explode with light like a like this crazy kaleidoscope. It was just bursting forth. Uh, and we got so excited, we stood up and we started to kind of track it. And because we were tucked in a cove, the sunset started to disappear behind this ridgeline. And a couple of said, hey, even though we're exhausted, let's go follow that. Let's chase that down. We want to continue to watch this remarkable uh, show that's on display. So we, even though we were tired, we ran up the ridgeline and kind of got up on the top of it. And I'll never forget that moment in all of my life. It was one of the most beautiful scenes I had ever seen. I can't even explain. I don't have words to, to describe it, and it wouldn't uh, do justice to what was happening in the sky. And then I looked down and saw, saw something equally remarkable. Our friend Jesse, the Canadian, was down in the surf with his camera. He had gators on all the way up here, and he's bouncing from rock to rock trying to get angles on this epic sunset. We hollered at him and like, yeah, go. And he turned around, smiled and whooped and hollered out of joy and gave us a big thumbs up and we cheered him on. I don't know what was more remarkable, the work of the artist in the sky or the work of the artist in the waves. They were both remarkable. Jesse later, when he emailed us the picture he took of us, we asked him if he could send us a picture of that sunset and he did and it's going to come up on your screen. I, I hope I hope he won some awards uh, for that shot. What were we doing that evening? We were we were seeking beauty is what we were doing. When's the last time you looked at something and you said that's beautiful? When's the last time you said those words and you had those thoughts? As I was prepping this message, I thought in all my years of going to church, and it's been many decades, all my years as a pastor, 
I've never heard a message on beauty. I know that I've never preached a message on beauty, and that's about to change today. We're in the third week of a series we're calling The Way Forward, Following Jesus in a Chaotic World. And yes, the world feels so chaotic. It's not feeling any less so as we continue to navigate these weeks in this series. So we're looking at practices each week that can help hold us together, not only hold us together so that we survive, but so that we can emerge from this season thriving wholehearted. Week one, we looked at the practice of unplugging. We're just not constructed by God to go, 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 and never stop and never unplug. Everything works better when you unplug it, even you, even me, even Jesus. And we looked at that aspect that week. The practice is uh, of unplugging is to, to take a step away, to take a break throughout our days, maybe several times to be in the uninterrupted presence of God. And we've been uh, sending out this little pause prayer for unplugging every Monday via our app. So go ahead and sign up for that app if you haven't. It's an awesome app. And be reminded to continue to pause to be in the uninterrupted presence of God. Last week, Pastor Mike looked at the practice of simplicity. Our hearts as vessels can only hold so much. We only have so much space in our hearts. And we often fill our hearts with small little insignificant things and they fill up and we have no room for the really important things. The practice of simplicity is getting all those small little insignificant things out to clear space to make sure we get the big rocks in there, the key things, the most important things that take up space in our heart. The practice that Mike challenged us with was to give something away. That could be something physical, a possession. That's such a good practice. It could also be giving away a time commitment or giving away some emotional baggage you've been carrying so you can clear out space to experience God and have the most important things reside in your heart. This week, week three, our practice that we're going to explore is to seek beauty. And Portia is going to read our scripture for us this week from Genesis 1. If you're on our online platform, you can go down to scripture and click on that and follow along if you would like. Portia, take it away. Genesis 1, even if you're new to the way of Jesus, is the beginning of our story. It's the start of our, of our Bibles. We're all somewhat familiar with it, I would guess. At the, in the beginning, God, that's the first words we're confronted with. In the beginning, here's God. We're introduced to God and who is God and what is God doing? God is a creator God. God right away is, is creating things. Now, in Scripture, we talk about this a lot. If something is repeated, that's what the authors of Scripture are using that device to, to garner our attention. They want us to focus on the things that are repeated. So again, if you haven't pulled it up in front of you, you can go to that online platform. If you're watching via Facebook or somewhere else, pull it up on your phone, get Genesis 1 open. If you're looking at it, and Portia read, I think, verses 11 through 21, but you can even go back up to verse 1 and just look through it. What phrase is repeated again and again and again? You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to see this. This is really simple. What phrase is the writer of Genesis drawing our attention to? You can write it in the comments phrase, say it to the people you walk with. The phrase is, and God saw that it was what? Good. God saw that it was good. This Hebrew word for good is a pretty remarkable word. It's the word tov, tov, just T-O-V. It is used in the Old Testament of the Hebrew Scriptures 562 times. 
the uh, variation of it is translated in the Greek and used in the New Testament many times as well. It is a central theme of scripture. Just the repetition, it's drawing our attention. What does this word mean? It's translated good, and that can kind of be an amorphous word for us. We usually default in our thinking to good meaning morally good or ethically right. And there's certainly that aspect of it that's part of Tov, but it's just kind of one aspect and actually a smaller aspect of the word. I'm not sure good is the best translation. The Hebrew word Tov actually means well-crafted or working the way it's supposed to work. You could also translate the word tov, and I think this is a great translation for it, as I bet you can guess, beautiful, as beautiful. Many of you may know I started my doctorate recently. It's a couple-year process uh, studying uh, kind of Jesus in the context of the first century with Dr. Scott McKnight. It's such a privilege. We just had our first class, and I was working on this message, and Scott just came out with his new book with his daughter, uh, and it's entitled A Church Called Tov. It's the call for the church to be good. And so Scott's been really studying this word. And it wasn't part of our class, but I raised my hand. I was like, hey, could I ask a question about Tov? I'm studying it. And, and I said, Scott, I think that a really good translation would be beautiful. And he kind of perked up. He's like, yes. He's like, absolutely. He said he's writing a translation of the New Testament right now that'll come out in, in, in a year or so. And he said every time the idea of Tov is used in the New Testament, he uses the Greek word for beauty because he thinks that is such a central idea. Scripture tells us that God is Tov, that he designed the world as Tov, that he designed you and I as Tov. When God looks at what he created in Genesis 1, his artistic evaluation is it, it's Tov. It's beautiful. Let's walk through uh, what we what Portia read and what we see in Genesis 1. God creates light. What does he say? And he saw that it was Tov. God creates the land and the seas and he saw that it was it was Tov. He creates the, the vegetation and the trees. God saw that it was Tov. It's beautiful. God creates the sun and the moon and the stars, and he saw that it's Tov. It's beautiful. This is an artist delighting in what he is creating. God then creates the wild animals, and uh, he creates the, the, uh, the birds and the creatures of the sea. They're Tov. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. And then his last creation is me and you and humanity. And God gets to the end of all this creative process. And you can see it right there. He says it's, it's very Tov. <laughs> it's very beautiful. And God's delighted and he takes a rest. This word Tov, this idea of beauty, it's, uh, it's a well-played concert, a well-played instrument. It's a, it's a coordinated golf shot. For the record, my golf shot is not Tov. Tov and beauty is, is the Sistine Chapel. It's a, it's a well-planned event. It's, an, a, it's a math equation. It's a, it's a yummy meal. It's when parents are parenting the way they're supposed to and people are doing their jobs the way they're supposed to and the church is operating the way they're supposed to. That's Tov. That is beautiful. The New Testament writers, Jesus as well, takes this idea and it's a pronounced idea in the Hebrew scriptures, and pull it into the New Testament. And we begin to see them interact with it. And you know how they interact with it. You know, many of you, these passages. We are told that the gospel, the very heart of the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, our hope is the gospel, the Tove news, the good news, or the 
beautiful news. We're actually told beautiful are the feet of those who bring the beautiful news. We're called uh, as people of the gospel to do tov works, good works. Jesus said, be my light. And as you're my light, you will do tov works, beautiful works that glorify your father in heaven. At the end of the day, when we enter God's presence, his evaluation system is about beauty. What does he say? Some of you may know this. He'll look down on us, hopefully me, hopefully you, and say, well done, my tove and faithful servants, my beautiful and faithful servants. Scott says that God doesn't give letter grades. He gives tove. That's what he gives. So why don't we ever talk about it? This is such a huge idea. How come we've never heard sermons? Or maybe you have. I certainly have. It's certainly not a periphery idea. It is a central idea of Scripture. Uh, why? Why do the writers of Scripture talk so much about tove and beauty? Because of this reality. Beauty reminds us that God is good. Beauty reminds us that God is good. I don't know about you, but these dark, chaotic times, some days when I'm sad and I'm down and I'm depressed and I feel hopeless, and that is me some days, and it does feel like a God-forsaken world. When I see and I experience beauty, it reminds me God is good. It gives me hope. Uh, philosopher, author, brilliant thinker, Dallas Willard, who passed away a few years ago, he defined beauty as goodness made manifest to the senses. Isn't that awesome? Beauty is goodness made manifest to the senses. When we experience beauty of any kind, we're reminded that God is good. King David says this in Psalm 34, 8. King David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that he's good. So as we seek beauty, we are reminded in a chaotic, chaotic hard world that God is good. As we uh, talk about seeking beauty, we need to be aware of a couple things regarding beauty. One, uh, beauty is otherworldly. Beauty is otherworldly. Uh, Henri Matisse, he's a famous French painter from the early 20th century. Here's my favorite Matisse painting. It's called uh, View of Notre Dame. Uh, Matisse once said this. I love this idea, and, and he's a noted artist. So I think he's thinking through that lens. He says, beautiful things always carry greetings from other worlds within them. If you're an artist or if you're not an artist, you're creating beautiful things. They're portals to another world. I think that's true. I think I think beauty points us to another world. Think of it like this. Let's remove God from the equation. Let's say you're an atheist. Let's say you're a naturalist. God does not exist. Well, then really beauty shouldn't exist. Beauty has no utilitarian uh, purpose to it. You don't, we don't need beauty. It doesn't do anything for us. But we do need beauty. I need beauty. I would argue that you need beauty. We feel it right here, our longing and our hunger and our thirst for beautiful things. And then when we experience beautiful things, what it does internally. I think it's one of the great evidences of God, that God is alive and well, and God has created our world, and God has created this other world that's merging with our present world and will make all things new. I love our two dogs, Elvis and Zion, but I've never been with them on a hike. When we stopped and looked at a majestic mountain, and my wife and I and our girls were like, oh, my goodness, it's so beautiful. It's so tove. I've never had our two dogs look up at us and, you know, in their minds saying, oh, that is beautiful. <laughs> like they're animals. This idea of beauty, it's etched in the human heart. 
It's unique of humans because we are made in the image of God. When we experience beauty, when, when we long for it, it's a longing for God. It's a longing for the world that one day will come where all things will be beautiful. Uh, this is called the, the in the nerdy world an argument for beauty and, and the whole idea of whether or not God exists. When we encounter beauty, we feel this sense of longing that isn't taken care of in the experience of seeing the beautiful thing. It points us beyond that to something that's coming. It intensifies our longing for something that we will one day experience when we're in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The author of Ecclesiastes says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I love that idea that God will make everything beautiful in its time. When we're in a period or a season where things don't seem beautiful and it's hard to find beauty, we maybe doubt that, but when we touch upon beauty, when we experience it, it is everywhere around us, even in the hardest seasons, we're pointed to a world that's coming when God will make everything beautiful. It's, it's, it's a catalyst for hope. I've only recently begun to really understand this as I've studied beauty. It's been, frankly, groundbreaking for me. And one of the things that's been part of my rhythm, and I'll be very honest and maybe a little vulnerable with you, um, one of the rhythms in my life is I, on a regular basis, I weep, I, I cry. And some of you may be judging me, that's, that's okay. Um, and usually it's when I'm by myself, and usually it's when I'm reading a beautiful story or listening to beautiful music or watching a beautiful movie, or maybe I'm watching a TV show and a beautiful moment happens between characters, I'll find myself just starting to weep. And I told uh, my doctor this a few years ago, and he thought it might be a hormone imbalance. <laughs> like I was like, thanks a lot. I don't think it's a hormone imbalance. And, and some of you might be like, well, you're depressed. And sometimes I am depressed. And, and, but I know the difference between sad crying and, and this. This is not sad crying. And I've never been able to articulate it and put a word to it until now. I think what's happening is I'm tasting beauty. I'm experiencing beauty. And it's an intensifying this longing for the Lord and for this world that he'll be bringing. One of my favorite books of all time is, is entitled Peace Like a River by Leif Inger. Uh, it's a remarkable, remarkable book. And I read it some years ago, and I was finishing it up. I, I read almost every evening, and um, I remember the moment. And my, my, we were in our, our first home, and my wife had fallen asleep, and I'm finishing, and I'm like 20 pages from the end. I'm just like, ah, I got to get through this. And it's hard for me to think of another 20 pages of literature that has so captivated me. I'll have to think about that. But it's an incredible last 20 pages. And you just can't stop reading. And I finished, I think, right at 2 a.m. And as I read it, it was I won't give it away, but the character's kind of leaving one world and entering a, a heavenly world. And uh, I was just weeping, just right there by my wife at 2 a.m. I'm just bawling and teared up. And it wasn't sad tears. It was like this. It was tove, it was beauty, it was a reminder that God is good. And I so wanted to share it with my wife and wake her up, but then that would make it not a beautiful moment if I would have, if I would have done this. So the, the, the Celtic Christians, uh, they call these instances thin places. I love that idea, thin places. It's those moments that we get a sense we're close, that the veil between heaven and earth and the world's coming is very, very thin. That was a thin uh, place moment for me. Music often ushers me into thin places. And, and during this difficult season, and, and it has been difficult for me and I expect for everyone, 
I have found myself listening to a ton of classical music. I love love classical music, especially solo, piano, or really sparse arrangements. And so if you're interested in that, I have a long list of recommendations. But when I'm exper- when I'm feeling especially down, especially hopeless, especially chaotic, I will put on headphones or just get in quiet and I'll just listen to beautiful music. And I'll often weep. <laughs> it's a, it, but it's cathartic. It's a longing. It's it's like, oh, that's so beautiful. Uh, if you are looking for recommendations, one of my favorite, Chad Larson, he's uh, he's a, a world-class uh pianist and uh, his his new song stay is just wow it's just unbelievable so there you go uh there's one recommendation but 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 hit me up if you need more i'm reminded of that scene from the shawshank redemption which is 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 one of my favorite movies and some of you may have seen it some of you not but uh, andy dufresne's played by tim robbins he's falsely accused of a murder and thrown into one of the harshest prisons in the country he meets Ellis, played by Morgan Freeman, and it's just their story. It's a hard movie to watch at times, and it's a beautiful movie. There's this one scene. Uh, he's been there for you know 10 years, 12 years, and Andy's kind of built a rapport with the warden, and he uses that to get into the warden's office, and then he locks the door. Some of you may remember the scene. And he takes a record player, and then he gets the intercom system, and he puts on uh, The Marriage of Figaro. It's from, I think, a Mozart opera. And there's, it's in Italian and he puts it on and he just kicks back and he blasts it. And suddenly over all, the whole entire prison, everyone's hearing this incredible opera. And here, here is, is Ellis, Morgan Freeman's words. He says this, I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. The truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are best left unsaid. I like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words and make your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a gray place dares to dream. It was like some little bird flapped into our drab cage and made those little walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man at Shawshank felt free. That's what beauty does to us. That's, that's what happens. when It's otherworldly, and when we experience it, it reminds us that God is good. So beauty is otherworldly. We need to understand that about beauty as we seek it. As we seek beauty, we also need to understand that beauty can emerge from suffering. And I think beauty often emerges from suffering. We've gone through one of the worst wildfire seasons ever in Oregon history, maybe the most intense one ever. It's been incredibly destructive. If you didn't have to evacuate your home, you know somebody who did, or you were packed to do it, or you know someone who's been impacted. If, if you're out there and you've lost your home or lost things, reach out. We want to help you. We, we grieve with you. It's been so destructive. We've all experienced it in some way. And there's no doubt, doubt that wildfires are incredibly destructive, but there's also a beauty that comes in the aftermath. The National Forest Service has realized the benefits of wildfires, and starting in 1970, they began a policy that unless a wildfire was threatening a populated area, they just let it burn because they were finding that in the aftermath, it was bringing health to the land. You might say, how? Because all we see is the destruction, and yes, there's been destruction when it hits populated areas. But if it's not in a populated area, forest fires clear out diseased trees, they clear out uh, brush and debris, they clear out insects that are destroying the forest. And then in time, the seeds that have been deep underground begin to germinate and come up and grow and berry plants and geraniums and flowers that never had a chance to get sunlight and lay dormant. They begin to pop up this beauty that we never saw. 
even even pine trees in, in an intense fire, they drop their pine cones. Those pine cones germinate new trees. And in time, beauty rises from the ashes. Maybe the prophet Isaiah was thinking of that in Isaiah 61. We often sing that in worship songs. That's where it comes from. The beauty for ashes or beauty arising from the ashes. Mako Fujimori is one of uh, our world's most celebrated painters. He his paintings hang in galleries around the world. He's lectured at Yale and in Princeton and Oxford. Uh, the, uh, he had a presidential, uh, a, a president appointed him to the National Council of, of the Arts. Mako is also a passionate follower of Jesus and sees uh, his art as a way to proclaim the beautiful news. My wife and I had a unique privilege of meeting Mako many years ago at an event and to help support the event, we, we bought one of his kind of small prints to, to sport and it's hanging in our home and it's a privilege to, to hang his art. Um, Mako was born in Boston to Japanese parents and then went to a prestigious Japanese painting school. He was actually the first non-native person not born in Japan to ever attend uh, the school. At that school, he learned an ancient form of painting uh, called Nihanga. Nihanga. And uh, this is a really unique way of painting where you take natural pigments and create dyes and paints out of those natural pigments. It's incredibly time intensive. So you take things like gold and silver and platinum and even shells, oyster shells, and, and you have to pulverize them and pulverize them and grind them and grind them in a ton of work till you get these raw materials. And then you put them in the paint. It's called, uh, Mako's form of painting is called slow art because it takes forever. Sometimes in his paintings, when you see them, they have hundreds of layers of paint and minerals, but they are absolutely remarkable. And it's also called slow art because minerals in time change. So he has to think about that when he's painting. What it looks like when he paints it, it's going to look like a totally different painting in, in 20 or 50 years. And so if you've ever had the privilege of standing in one of Mako's uh, uh, paintings, and I hope you do at some point, you can't tell for bald lie, but when you're standing there, the light hits it in different ways. And if you change angles, you see different aspects of the painting because it's minerals and they're actually refracting the light. And they've been pulverized to the point where they refract in these magnificent ways. Mako says the refraction of light in there in his paintings are arenas of grace. Isn't that a great term? And from whatever angle you look at, it's changing. And then over time, it changes. And it's such an incredible metaphor uh, to play out this point that beauty emerges from suffering. What's been pulverized into dust is now reclaimed and brought into a landscape that creates arenas of grace. Uh, I'm, I think a picture of one of his paintings is going to come up. It's, it's from uh, the Silence and Beauty show. It's called Chaos. And Again, it doesn't do do service to seeing it in, in person, but I love I've loved that that painting. We need to remember this truth about beauty in this time where many of us probably feel like there's minerals. We've been pulverized. We've been we've been crushed. Uh, we're struggling. We're sad. We're maybe depressed. And and you know it's there's not a lot changing here. It looks like the next couple of weeks and months are going to be hard weeks and months. We need to remember this principle. That within that, within those hard times, beauty emerges. The seeds that were down there that never got a chance to spring up start to come up. And we need to look for beauty because in times of suffering, beauty emerges. And when it does, we're reminded that God is good. Our practice for uh, this week is, is simple. It's a really simple practice. 
And it's simply to, to, to notice beauty. And we've been giving you these practices. By the end, you'll, you'll have uh, seven of these practices. And we hope that you'll take a couple of them that, that seem to really resonate with your work and begin to weave them into your life. That's the purpose that we're giving to you. Not to be one and done, but try these things out. Uh, try them on for size. So this week, the practice is, is super simple. It's to notice beauty. One writer said, noticing beauty uh, it's like when you're walking along a, a downtown street and you look down, there's a hundred dollar bill in front of you and you kind of do one of these. <laughs> like I said, anybody, nobody else is around. Only a fool would just keep walking. You, you, you reached out, you pick it up. It's a hundred dollar bill. It's right there. Nobody else is around. Nobody's coming for it. That's choosing the beauty that's everywhere around us. It's, it's picking it up and it's, it's noticing it. God models this for us in Genesis 1, back to that passage that Portia read. This is what God's doing. He created, it's out there, he's surveying the scene, and what does he say? That's good, <laughs> that's beautiful, and that's beautiful, and that's beautiful, and that's beautiful, and you're beautiful. God's showing us how to do it. Jesus models it for us in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what he says? He says, look at the birds of the air. Check them out, look, oh, beautiful. Look at the... The flowers of your feet. Open your eyes. The flowers are right there. Look at how beautiful they are. He's pointing them to Tov. He's pointing them to beauty to remind them that God is good, that God provides. Notice beauty. It's all around you. When something that you see is well-crafted, it's well put together, it's working the way it's supposed to, say that's beautiful. When's the last time you said that? Just say it to the people you're with. It might be weird at first, but they'll get used to it. Say it out loud if you're by yourself. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Look at that. That's that's beautiful. And for God's sake, seriously, for God's sake, get outdoors. I know the rainy season's coming. I know we've had these fires. Get outdoors. I read the other day that uh, the average person will spend 93% of their lives indoors. Let me repeat that. The average person will spend 93% of their li lives indoors. If you live to be 100, you will spend 93 years indoors. Get outside. We live in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. People come from all over the globe to come here to our home to see beauty. Get outside, even when it's rain. The rain's fine. I'm, I'm getting used to it. Uh, poet uh, Gerald Manley Hopkins, he says, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. Isn't that great? The world is charged with the grandeur of God, the beauty of God. It's everywhere. Go seek it and name it. Maybe we're all carrying these incredible cameras around in our pockets now. Maybe you take your, your camera, your phone throughout the day, and you begin to take pictures of things that are beautiful, things that are tov, things that remind you that God is good. And at the end of the day or the end of the week, you just go through them. And when things get especially dark, you just look through all the tov that's been right there uh, in your life. A New Hope artist, we have a special opportunity for you. Some of our New Hope artists are starting a creative community uh, to build community amongst artisans and, and people that make things and do beautiful things. And I'm so excited about this. My wife is part of this. Jessica Anders is part of this and appreciate their leadership. And so we're kind of launching this and uh, they want to have an online gallery that accompanies this idea of seeking beauty, that accompanies this series of the way forward. And so they're asking artists for you to create something beautiful uh, and submit it. And so that, and please, for us non-classical artists, we need beauty. Create, please, so that we can see these things and be reminded that God is good. So as you make them, you can be reminded that God is good. So if you need information on how to submit them, go to New Hope. 
pdx.org backslash events. Uh, you can also find information on our New Hope app. So download our app. You can also find information on those places about the creative community and how to begin to get involved. When we see something beautiful, well-crafted, towed, we're reminded that God's good, we should say that's beautiful. We should also say thank you. Beauty, it, there's no utilitarian function to it. Beauty is given. Beauty is a gift. Beauty is God's grace. Mako says it this way. I love this. Pause when you are offered beauty and make this conscious decision. I receive this grace. We open our clenched soul to let you in, to find God in it. I will often pray, thank you for this beauty. I receive it into my soul and with it, I receive you in it, by it and through it. Your love, your goodness, your life. That receiving part is key. Amen uh, to that. Uh, let me pray for us. God, thank you uh, for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And thank you, God. I don't often pray this way because I don't think about these things, about you, for your beauty. Thank you for your beauty. It's a beautiful world. Uh, your beautiful God. Tov is everywhere. And God, when we see Tov, when we see beauty, we're reminded that you're good. And these days, God, we need to remember you're good. When we feel that that longing that, that builds inside of us, for some people like myself, the tears that come, not out of sadness, but out of longing, out of kind of this quasi mixture of joy and anticipation, God, we're reminded that you're good. We're reminded that the story's not over. The story's continuing. We know how it's going to end. And you're bringing a world that's going to blow our minds like that sunset. That's just a prequel. There's a little signpost that point to kingdom come. And we delight in that. We need to seek that, God, desperately in these times to be reminded of who you are and what you're doing. Uh, thank you, God. We love you. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your goodness in our midst. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.